The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Excuse me. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari. If uh, you don't know Mari, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV, 48 Hours, Dateline, CNN, NBC, ABC News, O'Reilly Factor, Geraldo, and lots of other shows. So if you'd like to learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy. Privacy Piracy. Are you ever going to get that? We've only done about 35. You're going to have to get a new name. We've only had about 35 shows, and you can't say Privacy Piracy. Is that such a difficult thing? Apparently it is. Apparently it's a tongue twister. But anyway, Lloyd, we have a great show tonight. We're going to be talking about cyber stalking. And remember, just recently we interviewed Claire Miller, who was a victor, a victim of and she's a victor of cyber identity theft and cyber stalking. And, you know, recently, I think I told you about this case that I had read about a policeman in New York whose uh, name was Valentine, and he's being prosecuted now. Michael Valentine is 28. He met a woman on the Internet at Match.com last November, and he dated her for about six weeks. And then she broke up with him, okay? And when she broke up with him, he wasn't real happy about it. So now he's accused of reading her email, changing her Match.com profile, sending emails using her name to other guys, like, you know, asking for romance, etc., and also writing an email to him, threatening him that he'll come, uh, listen to this, threatening that her friends would come out of the business um, with baseball bats and beat your brains in. Okay, so somehow he was setting her up, okay? Um, But he was found, and um, he had sent messages to 70 other men pretending to be her. So it was cyber crime and cyber identity theft, and now he's being charged. But tonight we've got a good cop that we're going to talk to. I am so excited to tell you because remember James Dowling, my good buddy who used to be with the Huntington Beach Police Department, was a detective? Well, one of his good buddies who is referred to me, who was referred to me by the Orange County Sheriff's Department, everybody loves him. Everybody just talks so highly of him. He's wonderful. And he happens to be Detective David McCain. He's with the Huntington Beach Police Department here in Orange County. So we are so lucky to have an expert right here in Orange County. Usually we're talking to people all over the country, and we got one right here. Although he's not right here right this moment, he happens to be up in Sacramento talking to us um, because he's he teaches computer forensics for the Department of Justice here in California. Let me tell you a little bit more about him besides being a detective with the Huntington Beach Police Department, which, by the way, he's been assigned to the high-tech crime unit since 2001. So his assignment includes investigating high-tech crimes and assisting other investigators with lots of different crimes where the Internet or a computer is used. He performs computer forensics examinations on various media containing digital evidence, and in the year 2000, he was named Investigator of the Year by his department. So we've got somebody who's Investigator of the Year. Um, David McCain is currently a member of the FBI task force named the SAFE, S-A-F-E, team. This task force enforces federal statutes involving Internet crimes against children. And he is also a deputized uh, special deputy U.S. marshal as part of this task force. He does a ton of other stuff, but I just wanted to tell you he is also the president of Data Clues, which is a um, Data Clues, Inc., 
which is a corporation which provides e-discovery, computer forensics, and many other services to its cl his clients. So he's a licensed private investigator, too. And we are so thrilled that he was willing to speak to us all the way from Sacramento. David, you, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you do a lot for my ego. Oh, well, you deserve it. And, and luckily, I, you know, I don't know if you wanted to talk to me till you heard that James Dowling said I was okay, but... Well, as long as Jim gave you the okay, then uh, you're good in my book. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I'm so thrilled that you joined us. Yeah, we've, you know, um, you had heard I had told you the story about Claire Miller, who we had interviewed last week, who had a similar thing to, to what happened with this, uh, you know, this bad cop, uh, Michael Valentine in, in New York. I mean, she ended, she's been getting all these emails, and we still haven't gotten uh, from uh, the police who did subpoena the documents, we're trying to find out, you know, what was the IP address on this person. And it's been pretty scary because she can't move. And she had all these suitors coming to her door. And, of course, the the email that was sent uh, using her email address to, um, you know, on this kind of online dating service made her sound like she was more like a prostitute than looking for romance, you know. So it's been pretty scary. Right. So tell me, how did you start working on cybercrime? Um, well, I was assigned to the unit in 2001, like you said already, and um, part of the assignment, along with the fraud end, uh, involved the cyber ID theft or cyber stalking. And as it is in, in most professions, um, an investigator might be specialized in one area, but when it goes outside of his realm, uh, as it does sometimes with the Internet and tracing emails and what have you, they often turn to the person who is trained and, and teaches that or, or is involved with that. So oftentimes I get involved in investigations that might not be related to high-tech crimes, but a computer has been used. So... Um, over the years, um, investigators have come to me and asked me for assistance when trying to um, investigate uh, this type of crime. David, but how did you get to be such a techie? That's that's really a feat in itself. Well, um, you know, it, it just happened. I, and when I entered law enforcement, I never thought I would uh, be here. I thought I'd be on the street pushing a uh, patrol car for a while. But um, I really enjoy this uh, this field, and I'm glad I did. Um, yeah, I've learned a tremendous amount, and I, I see that this is going to be the way of the future. It already is, and. Um, it's it's been good to me. Yeah, well, I can see. You know, it's interesting because when I called the Orange County Sheriff, I wanted to get somebody involved from there. That's how I got referred to you. It was interesting because the people who uh, know the computers really don't know the the issue of investigation of the stalking, and that's why they all said, "Oh, David McCain knows all sides of it." So I think that that's a, a real tribute to you because I'm, I'm finding even from New York, speaking with law enforcement in New York and other jurisdictions, um, this is such a new area. They kind of don't know what they're doing. Do you find that too? Uh, yes, I do. And, and, you know, we've in law enforcement have come from, um, you know, basically the same crimes throughout, you know, our careers and throughout law enforcement. And with the computer era and uh, these types of new crimes, Oftentimes, a seasoned investigator might not have the experience or might not know how to handle these. So um, it, it's taken some time to get uh, law enforcement um, educated and trained and, um, and how to deal with these types of issues. So we're coming around slowly, but um, it is uh, not very um, – it's more likely that you will find somebody who does not have the experience or the know-how um, mm -hmm. But and they all know that there's resources are out there, and they can find it if they need to. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what is cyber identity theft and cyber crime, and and can you give some example? I mean, we I gave one example, but can you kind of tell us a little bit about what it is and how you see it? Maybe some samples. Sure. Um, it's similar to the the example you gave, um, you know, typically you you have it where. It's a known suspect. Somebody, uh, like in your case, he had met her on Match.com and, and had a brief, whether it's a personal relationship, but had some type of, of uh, interaction with that person. Oftentimes, you, it'll be that situation where the suspect is an ex-boyfriend, an ex-husband, somebody who is unhappy with um, the relationship in which direction it's gone, or somebody who hasn't vendetta, who is upset with somebody, um, there is some type of alternative motive. 
and um, maybe this person is a techie person or has dabbled uh, messing with um, profiles. Um, but an example would be um, we uh, had a case where an ex-wife um, had gone onto a, uh, a dating website and created a profile for her estranged husband or ex-husband and the new wife and listed his personal information along with his home address, home phone number, um, a lot of detailed personal information, and um, basically solicited, displayed, and, and advertised that this couple uh, was into very extreme sex uh, acts. Mm. And then um, advertised this and um, asked if other interested parties on this website, if they were interested in them, to contact them at their home. Oh, dear. So, um, obviously, it took them some time to realize uh, through all of the uh, obscene phone calls and unusual phone calls at all times of the day and night that something uh, had occurred. Not knowing what it was at the time, they started doing their own investigation. Um, they were able to convince one of the callers to actually talk to them instead of uh, make noises. Um, and um, they found out where their information was displayed on the Internet. They went to the website. They could see where the source of all these phone calls was coming from. And immediately they suspected um, the obvious, and that would be the ex-wife. Right. Um, you know, in a criminal standpoint, is that enough for us to go on usually? No. Um, you know, it's, it's, it gives us a direction, but does it mean it's, it's her? No. Right. It's just a suspect, right? Right. So you have to go about it the, the legal way and then start doing your homework and start doing your subpoenas and search warrants and trying to track it the legal way, uh, the physical way, to determine the source. Um, so that's a lot of work to, to issue subpoenas, and, and uh, because a lot of these companies are not in our own state, right? Correct. And and with uh, law enforcement in California, typically, unless you're on a task force or you're a federal officer, you have to write a search warrant. So to write an affidavit, to write a search warrant, um, it takes uh, time to gather this information and put it in a clear legal format. Right. And then, you know, um, some departments have it where you have to have it approved by a supervisor before you'd go to the DA's office. Sometimes you have to have it approved and read by a DA before you go to a judge. And then you have to find a judge who's available to sign it, read it, and sign it. So the process can be lengthy, and oftentimes that is just one step or one legal order, court order, uh, in maybe two or three different court orders that you have to use to obtain or eventually lead you to a location where that, that uh, crime had occurred. Right. And, David, sometimes you have to have enough information to even to be able to write that affidavit, right? So sometimes, right. the, you know, law enforcement might have to say, no, we don't have enough from you, right? Right. And we are usually the, the, the first point of filtering whether or not this case is, um, you know, it warrants further investigation and all of this work and effort. Yeah, because I've heard other victims who have contacted us over the years saying, hey, you know, law enforcement won't help me. They they say that they can't do anything. We have to come in with more evidence. And that's real frustrating for the victim. I had one uh, CEO of a company who had contacted me several years ago that somebody was made up an email with his name and was sending it to other companies and, you know, in different chat rooms trying to, you know, humiliate him. Right. And um, and, and that's all he knew. And so that was a real rough issue because he wasn't able to get that information. And uh, I don't know what eventually happened. We we tried to talk to law enforcement that was back east, and they just they didn't have the resources. Right. They, and and you know that's that's what you have to say. So so you what do you do like in that particular case that that uh, with the couple? What how were you able to get subpoenas? Were you able to prove this, or what what eventually happened? Yes, we eventually um, did a subpoena uh, for the company that had obtained or the information was posted about this couple. Right. We obtained the IP address of um, the computer that posted this information. Then we in turn did a search warrant for the Internet service provider of that IP address, which then in turn gave us um, a location of where that IP address was assigned at that date and time when that information was posted. Right. Um, the ex-wife in that case uh, actually lived in an outside county, so it required that I actually had to drive to that outside county's local jurisdiction or their court 
um, I'll have a DA review the, the search warrant for the residence after reviewing the two search warrants that got me to this residence. Oh, gosh, hurdle after so, hurdle. <laughs> yeah, a lot of hurdles to jump over, but, right. um, you know, it was clear the judge signed the warrant. Um, it ended up being the ex-wife like we thought. Yeah. Um, eventually, a warrant was served on the house. The computers were seized um, for forensic examination. Later, the uh, ex-wife did admit um, to doing this because she obviously was scorned right. and upset. She was apologetic, and um, unbeknownst to me, she had communicated with um, the ex-wife and husband and apologized. But the, the sad thing was, for, for my um from my point of view, was when I took the case to get it filed in that jurisdiction, uh, the DA refused to file charges. Oh, my goodness. They um, felt that um, the service of the search warrant and the seizure of the computers and her admitting to it and, and apologizing was sufficient since there was no true injuries, so to speak, of. Um, you know, the phone calls were stopped once the data was removed from the website. So, again, in... <laughs> in in light of the court, you know, they were so overburdened and so busy with court cases. Was it a case that would be, in, in their opinion, the court and the DA's opinion, was it something worth them spending their time and effort on right. when the issue was resolved? Oh, goodness. So, so, so there wasn't even a plea bargain. He just didn't even bother with it. Right. It was just refused. Um, oh, and, you know, after you go through all that, I mean, I, I've seen this happen with law enforcement is they work so hard and then they get to the D.A. level and the D.A. doesn't take it seriously or the judge doesn't take it seriously. And they just say, you know what, I'm never going through this again. I'm not going to waste my, you know, spin my wheels. Right. And that's how you feel. Well, and you're right. And it, it, it causes the investigator and, and oftentimes victims see this. Um, they don't get the attention that they expect. They don't get the service they expect. But it's not that um, law enforcement isn't willing to do something. It's just that we have to look at every case and determine whether or not it's worth our time right. and effort. We need to um, prioritize our, our caseloads and find the cases where they're extreme, where you know law enforcement needs to take action and right. take action quickly. So in that case, that was a lesson for me and myself because I realized, you know, I have to start using some type of filtering, right? Some type of, um, of processing the reports and, and making a priority and which ones are worth my time and, and effort. Yeah, I guess almost asking the spouses, like, "Hey, if I go this far, are you going to prosecute? Or are you going to like, you know, roll over?" <laughs> right, right. And and often, and I've had a case where that's happened. Yeah. Where, you know, they, there's there's kids involved, and you know the spouse that is scorned all of a sudden becomes a great father and, and wants to do right, and and then starts paying child support, and the, yep. the wife doesn't want to upset the apple cart, so to right. speak, and all of a sudden this very serious, very um, important case in their life that they're calling you daily on all of a sudden isn't important anymore. And, um, you know, again, that's a lesson for law enforcement, and, and I hate to say it, but a true victim often has to get past that with an investigator. Right. And, you know, we see that a lot with identity theft cases, too. You know, I mean, if they find out that it's their, um, you know, there was a judge in our county who found out it was his stepson, you know, who did it. And, and you know, then when they find out it's a family member or a friend of a friend, then, the, you know, and then law enforcement feels like you pulled the rug out right from under them after you put all that work to do the, you know, the subpoenas, get the affidavits, get do the subpoenas, go to the court. <laughs> it's just I, I, I'm really glad that you're saying this because I think people who will hear this will understand this isn't just a matter of you, you know, calling somebody on the phone and getting what you need. It's really a, a tremendous amount of work. So so who, um, like you talked a little bit about who the typical uh you know, frauds, not fraudster, but who, but I guess they are fraudsters, who the typical cyber thief is. I mean, do we ever worry that the person, uh, because it's normally for revenge or, or something like that, that, that they might really hurt the victim? Is that a concern? Um, that is, um, obviously, uh, it would be our major concern when we are reviewing a case, whether or not there is an immediate threat or there is a serious, credible threat of, of bodily harm. Um, oftentimes it's not, but if you are a victim and, and it, it's, this is the situation um, that you're, you're involved in, you need to uh, stress this point to law enforcement that, um, you know, it's not a, a typical case or it's a known 
or uh, possibly known suspect, you, you need to, if, if it's an outsider, if somebody like in the example that you gave earlier, somebody that uh, was met on a dating website, and if the threats and the harassment is, is serious and it's life-changing, then that, that victim needs to make it known to the investigator. Right. You know, I don't know if you remember the Amy Boyer case, which was a pretty famous case out east, in which Amy, um, in fact, they have a, the Amy Boyer law that they passed in, in Congress because of her, but she was, uh, I can't remember if it was Connecticut or what, but she had scorned the advances of this kid in high school, and he went online, he went to DocuSearch, and he was able to get her social security number and other information about her. This is like, you know, a couple of years later. And then he went online and found where she worked from the social security number, and then he called where she worked and said that he needed to find out more information about her. She, you know, she would wanted to something she wanted from them. So they said, okay, this is her hours. And then he came and um, waited outside and killed her. You know, she was just in her twenties and killed her. And um, this was helping us to try and limit the social security number on these data uh, files, you know, for the data brokers. But um, but that was a form of cyber identity theft in that he, you know, he used the Internet to get information about her and then then went after her. You bet. And it's worse now. I mean, it is uh, any normal taxpaying citizen. Anybody out there who is uh, a, a working person, a student who's involved in the everyday, normal, social life that we have here in America, you leave a paper trail everywhere you go. And a lot of that information is out there on the Internet, and it's obtainable and accessible, sometimes, majority of the times, for free. And if not, you can pay a small fee and, and gather this information. Um, a lot of these search engines out there can find people, can find email addresses and phone numbers. Um, it, it is, it's almost scary how much information is out there. There's, there. Information has a value, and people are taking this information and providing it to other legitimate sources, but oftentimes those legitimate sources of the information are used improperly. So um, using the Internet um, to find people um, or to find other sources where you can find information where, in that case, he made some phone calls to her work. Right. Um, you can call that hacking. It's social hacking. He right. was able to obtain this information by using maybe some um, common language or, you know, a hoax or a ruse. Um, but if the information wasn't complete, he was able to get it himself by just using the, the tactics that he did. And, you know, he killed himself afterwards, but he went online before he killed himself, and he went into a chat room, and he wrote and told what happened and what he did, and he said, it's obscene what you can find out about someone on the Internet. That was in his blog. Wow. And then he killed himself. So this this is just outrageous, you know? What better proponent of this issue? I mean, uh, a person that took it to the extreme was actually, um, you know, voicing this, so... Um, it, it is. It is serious, and, it, and the information out there is, is is incredible, which you can find out about a person. Right, and and then you know, then it's also incredible what you can't find out. Like for example, um, Claire Miller, who we you know just interviewed last week, um, and she told her story. You know, she wasn't even really using the internet. Somebody went in and just um, took an email address and made it up. And, and said, you know, and then put this, all of her personal information in there. And so she would not have known had not these men started calling her. Do you know what I mean? So I told her to do a search of her name every and every place that she could to see what else is up there. Right. And um, so that's that's really hard. Let's talk about, like, who, who are the victims usually? Um, you know, oftentimes the victim, again, going back to the suspect, it, it's a known, the victim is somebody who has had some type of um, exchange or some type of relationship in the past that has caused somebody to become upset, um, uh, despondent, somebody who's seeking revenge. So oftentimes it, um, it's the ex-wife, the ex-husband, the ex-boyfriend, um, and that's the most common um, one we see. And it's important for the person who is um, somebody who is out there and has a profile on a dating website who maybe has turned down an advance or has rejected somebody in a date, and for some reason this has caused this person such grief that they um, are going to go to these extremes. Those are the people that um, what you know we would see as um, not, so, not so much a true victim, but a victim that really um, should be 
uh, brought to the top of the stack, so to speak, and those type of cases uh, involved. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, crimes among known people, uh, we can't do anything about right. uh, in law enforcement. But the ones who go out and pick on um, strangers who go out there and look for this and cause this um, or, or commit these crimes on a complete stranger for really no logical, reasonable explanation other than, you know, maybe turn down on a date, um, those are the ones that we want to investigate and look at because that type of person, that type of suspect is a little more dangerous. Right, like Jodie Foster, poor thing, who was stalked, you know, it's that kind of a thing. Now they can stalk you online, which is so much easier to stalk you. And they know that it's harder to, um, you know, to find you, right? Yeah, that, yeah and I, we all use an old adage in law enforcement, we want to catch the dumb ones. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody is, is sharp and knows their... Um, knows how not to get caught and knows the system, those are ones that are going to be very difficult to catch. Oftentimes, though, when somebody's emotional and, and involved in this type of thing, they're not thinking clearly in the first place because they're doing these types of crimes. But secondly, they're caught up emotionally in trying to you know, defame or, or harass somebody or stalk somebody. So they're not careful about how they do it, which right. is good for us. Right, um, right, right. They, they misstep somewhere. Right. Let me let me reintroduce you because people are driving by and they're wondering who is this guy with the great you know velvet voice and who knows all this good stuff. We are speaking with Detective David McCain, who is a detective with the Huntington Beach Police Department. He's very well versed in so many ways, and he actually instructs computer forensics for the Department of Justice. And we're thrilled to have him with us. So let's get back to some more questions. I you know one of the things that I'm I'm wondering if it would work, and I'm and I'm hoping that. Um, I can try this out on a few people, and you might want to send them to me if you hear of any more people who are victims of cyber identity theft. But in the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act that was passed in 2003, we had a section in there about identity theft that basically said if you are a victim of identity theft, and that is defined as the unlawful use of your personal identifiers for an unlawful person, uh, purpose, excuse me, the unlawful use of your personal identifiers without your permission for an unlawful per purpose, then you are subject to some of the rights under that act. Now, it doesn't say just financial identity theft. And under that, you can uh, write a letter to whoever has your information, which I'm thinking it might be match.com, and tell them that you're a victim of identity theft, include a police report and documentation to show who you are, and under that law, within 30 days, they're supposed to send you all documentation of the account. That's correct. And and if so, um, they would also be able to give the, the uh, investigator on the case uh, a, a copy of everything or have the company direct everything to the investigator on the case without a subpoena. Correct. And so I think if we start using that, that'll save a lot of those hurdles that you've had to jump over if the victim himself is willing to, you know, write the letter and say it's pursuant to FACTA and and get that information. I, I really don't think that a company can deny it if, if they are, you know, using the law. Correct. And I think there's some civil remedies where the company actually is fined for each additional day past the uh, amount of time they're allowed in that in that law. Well, that was the California law that got okay. preempted, unfortunately. That was originally 530.8 right. of the penal code that was preempted by the federal law. When FACTA came in, they, they kind of watered it down. The, the 530.8 allowed within 10 days. Correct. Uh, this got changed to watered down a little bit. They said that the company has 30 days. They must provide it for free. But there is um, really no private right of action. <laughs> right. And I can understand, um, you know, they're in the business and they, they're busy and they, they have to expend all these um, monies on, on staff to keep up with the demand because there's a lot of it occurring. Yeah. So they're trying to balance it. I understand that. And they're also trying to balance their privacy rights and, and some of the laws that are governing what information they can give out to the right. public. Right. They want to protect people's privacy at the same time. You know, they need to assist you when your privacy has been violated. Right. So it's, it's a fine line. Um, so let's try it, Dave. I have the letter, you know, in my book, but I'm happy to send it to you. Remind me, send me an email. I'll send you the letter that the victims can send that are that okay. is legal. And let's try it and see if it does 
doesn't work. And if it doesn't, then you tell me and I'll make some phone calls. But I think we should start using that to save you from having to do the affidavit and the subpoena and all this stuff. You bet. And, and get this stuff for free. You bet. And, and, and oftentimes that works great. And if, if you are a victim, if a person um, is having this occur, you know, that's one of the best things you can do right from the get-go. Um, get that information, uh, get it started at least. So when you file that report, you can tell that officer, hey, I, this is the steps I've taken. You're showing in that investigator that you're committed right. to your case, that you want to see it resolved. You're willing to put in the effort and do whatever is necessary. And that it, it will impress the investigator and show that, you know, you're not just playing a game with your ex-wife or ex-husband right. and um, you're just going to be a pawn. Right. We, you're, we, you're taking affirmative action to protect yourself as well. Exactly. So... Um, if that's a great step to take. Um, if the case is um, is exigent and and we need to act on it quickly, then obviously we can write a search warrant. Right. Uh, you know, much faster and get the results much faster. Right. Right. But if but you know if 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 law enforcement feels overwhelmed and they don't have the time, and the victim feels you know, really frustrated and helpless, which sometimes they do, mm -hmm. this is a, a step that they can take and then have all of the documents sent to their investigator at Huntington Beach Police Department or wherever and really, you know, be a partner in helping to resolve the crime. You so bet. so that's something that I think we should, you know, try and do some more. I know we do that all the time for financial identity theft, but I think we need to do it for cybercrime too. You bet. So, so what, what are some tips um, that we can give some of our audience? You know, we're here at the University of California, Irvine, and these people go into MySpace all the time. This is scary stuff to me. Right. And they're giving information that I believe that they shouldn't be giving. Or even if they give something like a phone number, you can do a reverse directory and find out where they live. You're right. So what are some tips that we can say, not only for the university, but every business person who's driving by right now listening to this? Okay, I'll start with maybe the college student or the high school student and soon to be a college student. Um, the big thing right now, like you mentioned, was MySpace. And um, at that young age, obviously people want to express themselves. They want to talk about themselves. They want to say, hey, world, this is me. And they create their MySpace page, and oftentimes um, they put a little too much information. It's TMI. Um, you don't want to put, you know, what college you went to, all the details, um, about somebody, about yourself, so somebody could find you. Somebody could take a, a part of that information, maybe use part of that information to obtain additional information off the Internet or on the Internet or through a telephone call that will cause you to become a victim of identity theft. Um, so uh, just for that one aspect of MySpace, you have to be careful. Also, too, you want to be careful about putting information out there anywhere on the Internet because once it's out there, it's hard to get off. And, uh, again, information is valuable, and if somebody uh, has it out there, you can find, uh, usually find it out there on the Internet. For somebody who um, is not, uh, doesn't have a MySpace page, um, you just want to make sure that when you provide your information, you're not providing it um, to complete strangers. When you're filling out these cards to win a car or you're filling out a uh, survey form, be cautious with your information. Don't freely give it out. Um, especially your personal information like your home address and home phone number. If you have a P.O. box, use a P.O. box. Don't use your home phone number. Use maybe your work number. Um, change things up if you do have to give out information. Be cautious of who you're giving it to. And just because they are asking for it doesn't mean you have to give it. Um, oftentimes, if I'm filling out a form or a questionnaire, I leave a lot of the fields blank, and I'm never asked to fill them in completely, um, uh, and it's overlooked. Right. Um, and you have no idea what type of control this company or this entity has with your information. So um, I guess overall, uh, be careful what you give out and who you give it to. And and also, aren't there ways, you know, like these, um, you know, the spyware that can go into your computer and, and get this from you if you're not careful on the Internet, you know, if you're not using SpyBot or if you're not um, or if you're going on websites that, you uh, you know, are are going to get into your computer. Can't they get information from your computer as well? Sure. Um, some of the legal, um, so to speak, uh, types of spyware obtain marketing information uh, about the websites you visit and what have you. Um, if it's a, an illegal type, maybe an ex-wife or ex-husband who installs a spyware program or a keystroke logger or a, a, a disgruntled employee or employer, 
um, they could obtain this information in, on your computer and, and maybe collect the data that's going back and forth, your banking information, your banking records, whatever it is. But you also want to make sure you maintain security on your computer or have your uh, operating system up to date. Make sure all the patches are up to date and fixed. Your virus protection up to date. You have a firewall. Um, a lot of these um, things that we're not really conscious of, um, we need to make sure we have because there are people out there who um, are in the business and in the know of obtaining it through the Internet. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago we interviewed um, a guy who wrote the book Fishing Exposed, Lance James. He scared me to death, too, because he was talking about all of these, like, um, Romanian and Russian and all of these countries that are, you know, that are fishers and and doing spyware stuff in another country that you guys don't even have jurisdiction over. You bet. Um, and to go along with that, the Nigerian scam. Right. Um, there's a lot of them out there. And, yeah, it is the World Wide Web. It's the Internet. There are people that in far-off places can and can conceive and carry out these um Phishing expeditions, these viruses, whatever you want to call it, spyware, Trojan scams, yeah, yeah. and um, you know we can stop them. Sometimes before, sometimes they're reported after the fact. But as far as investigating them, oftentimes they're in countries where there is no cooperation with the U.S. government, and, right. and the money's being wired overseas. And um, you know, by that point, it's it's too late. You know, it's really scary for me is, you know, identity theft, like, you know, I don't know if you know, I was a victim of identity theft myself back in 1996. And um, I was real helpful. My imposter happened to have been in Ventura. And the Ventura police were great because the watch commander who answered the phone when I called was a victim of identity theft himself. <laughs> oh, so yeah. That's even that usually before, helps. Yeah. And that's even before we had 530.8 of the penal code, That's you know, which I helped write, by the way. That's That was when there was, you know, when I called Orange County, where I live, they said, well, look, you know, you're not a victim because under the law, you're not a victim. It's the credit card companies. And and I felt so, you know, frustrated. And then I found out that all of the um, the credit cards and credit lines, et cetera, were going to Ventura. And, you know, I just called there. And the watch commander said, Oh, yeah. My wife and I applied to uh, refinance our home, and, and we've been living in identity theft hell for a year. I'm going to help you. So, oh, yeah. yeah and Great I, ally. Yeah, I actually got him on TV. I got him on investigative reports as a, as a favor back. And But his uh, the chief investigator on that case, I did so much work. I literally gave them everything on a you know, on a platter, because I wrote to all the companies, I said, give me everything, otherwise you're, you know, obstructing justice, and I, you know, said I'm an attorney and all this stuff, That's and um, I did get it, and I gave it to them on a silver platter, and um, they worked so hard, they were wonderful, and then when it got to the DA and the judge, she got a uh, six-month work furlough program, still driving the red convertible Mustang that she bought, and she had been doing it not only to me, but a bunch of other people, and my investigator said to me, he said, you know, this judge is an idiot. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, she, she was doing more of it while she was out on bail. And, you know, he was so frustrated. He said, I'm never going to work as hard as I did in your case. And, and, you know, he thanked me because I helped him and we worked together and he was great. But he said, this is so frustrating. You know, it's just so frustrating that no one was taking it seriously. But that was, again, that was, you know, 10 years ago already. So, you know, times have changed, but it is important for the victim to be, you know, heavily involved in, in doing something to help themselves right. as well. And that's a trend uh, I think I hope will change. I, I hope that our legal system will become um, stricter and and more and take this uh, more serious when it comes to sentencing. Yes, um, and it, and they already are. I mean, Putin has has introduced legislation in California and Deborah Bowen. So we have we are and even at the federal level, you know, um, that we've we've got some enhancements, especially if drugs or terrorism is included. So right. yeah, so right. we are. But you're you're seeing. I mean, we're starting to see a trend where organized crime. Um, is is going towards this the day of the gang, uh, the street gang, um, the white supremacy gang, whatever gang it is, where they used to do robberies, high profile, risky um, robberies, where the risk was extreme and the reward was small. It was a hundred, right. two hundred dollars. Right. Yet they could take the chance of spending ten years in prison. They are getting away from that. They're realizing that the sentencing is lenient, and they're right. going to um, this type of crime, and, and they are reaping the uh, rewards of it. 
they're making tens of thousands of dollars. So, um, you know, the legislation, um, the laws, the courts are going to have to get tough on this because we're going to be taken advantage of by the uh, criminal enterprise. Right. And like the methamphetamine with an identity theft, too, they're, they're, they go to go, they're hand like in hand. Horse and carriage, right? Yes, indeed. And and that's pretty scary when you think that. I know um, even my own imposter, a woman, was a meth addict. Mm-hmm. She was a meth addict, and, and so she was getting money and having fun with it, and that was helping to support her habit. Yeah, the old way was either burglary or shoplifting, um, going to the local department store and stealing from them and or breaking into homes, some type of fraud. Now they can get much more money, much less risk by performing or conducting identity theft. Right. All they need is a social security number. And a computer. And, and a computer, yeah. And, you know, the, the thing that I think is so scary getting back to cyber crime and cyber identity theft is, you know, at least you can kind of understand. And, in fact, a few weeks ago we even interviewed um, a an identity thief who had already served in prison. He's got a book now and he's reformed and he... He has a security um, company, and he happens to be a nice guy, and he he found God, and he's, you know, trying to keep straight. But he told us how he used to pay, like, $10,000 to get into companies and have, like, Experian or these, you know, dirty employees. He would pay them off in banks, and they would give him everything he needed. He wouldn't take anybody who had, like, a less than a 720 uh, uh, FICO score. And he wanted to know everything about them, and then he would make a ton of money within just a couple of days on each victim. And, you know, I hate to say it, maybe back then when he was paying this money, he could have um, done much better by the more common way now is um, you have your girlfriend or your wife or you meet somebody who works in one of these places. Right. And you convince them to give you the information, maybe give them a cut of the money. Right. That way you don't have to come up with the ten grand. But yeah. Well he had so much money he was rolling in dough. He just and, yeah. that's what he would do. He would just go into a new city, he'd find out who's in there, he'd find the dirty employees. Yeah, if you want to listen to the interview, it's amazing. It's on our website. Okay. He did a great job. But you know, the thing that's so insidious about this cybercrime which scares me is I can understand somebody wanting money. Okay? I mean that's the that's one thing you commit identity theft for money but to commit identity theft for revenge is so insidious and scary to me that someone would would go online and just try and destroy you i mean i have heard stories i had um uh, someone who called me who had was actually an expert witness in a divorce case she was a psychologist and the um ex-spouse who lost the custody battle um, went on and put up a website you know and put her picture on it and pretended to be her and like looked like she was a prostitute instead of an expert witness to try and discredit her you bet and um, this stuff is I mean how do you deal with something like that David um, you know, it's it's extreme. Greed is one thing, but revenge and, and hate is, is difficult. Oftentimes, um, you know, people will move on with greed, and they might go on to a different victim if they feel that, you know, they're being watched or they've been uh, detected. But with the hate and, and um, that type of crime, you're dealing with somebody who um, is not thinking clearly, and you have to take seriously because you don't know how far they'll take it. And we, right. we, we see in everyday uh, news uh, some of the extreme cases, and, and that drives some of the fear that we're afraid that we might become victimized. It's difficult. You're dealing with a person who's not thinking rationally. I know it. I know and it. It's you can't reason with them. Right. Right. So what what do we tell someone who's a victim? What are some of the things that they should or should not do when dealing with law enforcement and just in their life? You know, like, for example, Claire has done some things. She went on, um, I think, cyberstalker.com or cyberangel.com. There's some, you know, websites that give some good advice. We talked about that when we interviewed her. But what are some things that law enforcement believes that people should do if they found out that maybe they're getting emails from somebody who's stalking them or they find out that there's an email in their name? What, what kinds of things should they do? You, you first want to preserve whatever you can. Um, you want to either print out that um, email or save it. You want to preserve whatever is occurring um, in whatever manner is appropriate. You might want to contact law enforcement um, when you're doing that. But you want to start um, keeping a log. You want to uh, start with um, rec- 
recording the data and, and the transactions and or the crimes or the occurrences as much as you can. Um, find the agency, make the report. Um, when the case is assigned to an investigator, call that investigator and express to them uh, what is occurring. Um, provide them with whatever information that you have, any, any data. Make them know that um, you're serious about the case and um, the matter is serious. If you file the report and let it go and never call, um, you might not hear from an investigator for you know a month to two months, depending on the caseload. But if if it's an occurring, reoccurring type of crime, you want the investigator to be aware of it. You want them to have as much information. Um, make this uh, data uh, available to them. Um, give them any information or, or any tips on who you might think it is. Um, if they were on the dating website, where do they think the source of this, this harassment or the stalking is coming from? Um, but you want to convey in the best uh, way that you can that you're, you're serious, that you are a, um, a true victim, and that you want this issue and you're not going to go away until it's resolved. Right. You know, when um, Claire had sent me some emails that she uh, exchanged back and forth with, for example, AOL, and she said somebody had opened up an account with AOL, and then because she was not a member of AOL, they wouldn't give her any information at all. Right. You know, they said, okay, we'll take it under submission. We're sorry this happened to you. So, you know, that was real frustrating. And then she went, she wrote to some of the other um, websites where where there was, you know, chat rooms where she was supposedly in those chat rooms, and she said, this isn't me. And, um, you know, they would, they would really give her nothing. And so... All she could do was, you know, tell law enforcement, this is where I was and this is what I got. And just entirely frustrating for oh, her. Yeah. You bet. And you need to convey that. Let the investigator know that you're actually doing something, that you're trying, whether you're being successful or if you're successful or not. Um, let them know that. Let them know that you're, you're, you're doing things um, and not just sitting there expecting the investigator to do everything for you. Help as much as you can. But you don't want to also antagonize or... or um, add to the issue by uh, replying to the emails in a negative way because, um, you know, obviously in court, all the emails or the exchanges or or whatever data is out there about you will be um, discoverable, but any of your responses can also be discoverable. So you got to be careful on how you handle it also. Right. And plus, if you you respond to him, then he thinks he's got you or she thinks she's got you, you know, whoever it is. So if you just don't respond, it might just dissipate. Uh, You would hope so. Um, In those cases, if it works, great. If not, then, you know, you're on the right path and and you'll continue. Right. So so give us another example of something that that you've dealt with. I I wanted to tell you about a real quick thing that I actually dealt with civilly. I had somebody who, who was in Laguna Hills who said that her husband was not even online, but somebody had um, created a Hotmail account in his name and then started sending things in his name to discredit his own wife to, like, all these other people that would embarrass her. Right. Um, I, I've had a lot of cases like that. Um, oftentimes they're resolved um, uh pretty fast and easily. I've had a student at a high school who's created a, a free web-based email account in one of the teacher's names and then uh, was able to obtain all the email addresses of the students in the class and sent an email out to the students posing as a teacher saying, here are your final grades uh, on this test. Open up this attachment and here you go. Oh and my it was a very graphic, very uh, grotesque um, collection of images that were very... Um, disturbing. Mm. Um, initially, it caused the teacher some grief because obviously the parents, the, par- the, the kids um, told their parents, told the, parents, the sure. parents went, oh my God, and they called the school and said, what's this teacher doing? Oh not my. realizing maybe that, the, that it was a, ya- a Yahoo or a Hotmail account. Maybe it's not the teacher. It's not right. the school domain, but um, initially it might have caused the teacher, and in this case it did, some grief at first. But And then the teacher would be investigated, like, what the heck are you doing? Right, and, and luckily the school was aware that because it was a hotmail or email, uh, this type of email account, it wasn't the teacher. Right. And they trusted the teacher. So the investigation turned, obviously, to the students, and eventually it was discovered which one it was and, and that uh, student was dealt with. But, um, you know, there's other cases where the dating websites, uh, I, I tell uh, people that... Uh, 
that they have to be careful when they go on these dating websites because you know, what are you doing on this dating website? You're talking about yourself. You're right. putting a lot of information about the type of person you are and where you work and what you do and a lot of information that normally is found out after you meet somebody and get a feeling for them. Right. And you kind of know if they're creepy or weird. Right. And in this case, you're throwing it out there all in advance. And you don't know who you're really talking to. Right, you don't. You know, I mean, you might be thinking you're talking to, um, you know, another guy who's 25 years old, you know, and really you're talking to somebody who's, you know, 60 years right. old. Right, am I really talking to Mari right now, yeah, exactly. or is this a defense attorney trying to help him with his future case? I don't know. Exactly. But, um, yeah, people have to be careful. You need to know what you're putting out there. Um and know who you're talking to. Uh, in the sexual predator side for kids, um, these sexual predators oftentimes will pose as kids. So you, right. in that realm, um, that's an extreme, but those people are definitely posing as somebody else. But uh, in these dating websites, especially the free ones, you can be anybody you want and project yourself to be anybody you want. And take a picture of your buddy or somebody else on the Internet and paste it in there and here's this, you know, strapping, good-looking, gorgeous man, and actually when you meet him, you know, he's the exact opposite. Right, right. No, it is pretty terrifying when you think, you know, it's like that New York Times little cartoon that I always show, and it's got these two dogs, and one dog's sitting at the computer talking to the other dog, and he goes, hey, no one knows you're a dog when you're on the Internet. <laughs> you right, know? yeah. And that is, that is so true. I think that is, that's what's um, really scary for me is, again, these, these, I think even my own kids who... You know, they don't understand the ramifications. They're so trusting, right? I mean, right. especially this, I'm sure the university students here at KUCI, you know, they get online, they get all excited, they start talking, they're meeting friends. It's so exciting, right? Right. But, but um, they, they just don't understand what the, the what the ramifications are. And all it takes is that one time. Yes. And, um, you know, they'll learn the hard way, which is not the way you want to learn. Right. I, I read in the Orange County Register, and maybe you know, but I don't think it was in Huntington Beach, but it was about this. Somebody had done what they call like cyberbullying, where they um, took some a high school girl and they put her head on the body of somebody um, that was a, a naked woman. Okay. Right. And then they put that on, you know, on some website. And and started saying all these things, you know, just totally humiliating for this you child, you know. So so, what do you advise about that if you're a parent? Um, there are programs. Some of the schools, especially in Orange County, I know I, I've spoken to the Board of Education and some of the school districts. I know they are attempting to put some type of curriculum and and, and or teach the kids about cyberbullying that the, what the possible uh, outcomes of that are. Um, there are nationwide and local cases where kids have been uh, cyberbullied and have actually committed suicide. I over know, that. sure. Um, we've had a, a sad to say a case in Huntington Beach recently where um, a middle-aged or a middle school-aged kid uh, committed suicide, um, and and in part it had to do with cyberbullying. So. Um, that is a huge issue in the schools right now. There's a lot of it going on. You know, the stuff that used to occur on the playground and walking to and from school uh, is now occurring online. Uh, the kids have moved to this digital arena, and a lot of it is occurring out there, and they're able to do a lot more uh, damage on the Internet with this. So, uh, And, and they can go problem. incognito. You know, it's easier to go incognito when, you know, like Lloyd says, when he was a kid and he moved to a new neighborhood, the kids would bully him and then they, you know, they beat you up. Okay? Right. But at least you know who's beating you up. Right. Yeah, <laughs> in the computer, you, the suspect has the luxury of anonymity and of privacy and then doing this without uh, likely being detected or seen or, or, or found where, you know, if you're doing it out in public, you might attract the attention of a, a teacher or a parent telling right. you to knock it off. Right, exactly. Uh, but, and or either that or you can go home and complain, but, but if you're home and you can't complain, who, who do you complain to? Right. Let me ask you, you, you're also a private investigator, so, so what, is, you know, what is it that a private investigator can do um, for someone in this kind of a case as, as opposed to law enforcement? Um, their private investigator could probably do the same thing that any person could do. Um, you know, if somebody's willing not to do it themselves, uh, maybe the private investigator can do it on their behalf or assist them with it. Um, well, they can do some more, um, like they can, they know probably more of the resources online, you right. know, and maybe get into, maybe belong to choice point or well, some of the contacts they might have the information sources they can go to, to obtain some information. Um, 
um, they can provide obviously a, real, a great realm of things, whether it be surveillance or uh, monitoring of the program or, or the computer that the person's being uh, contacted through. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it's a large-scale type situation, the private investigator can basically provide any assistance with obtaining information from these outside sources. Right. So tell me if, yeah, we have about five more minutes. Kind of walk me a little bit through in a few minutes if you can. Like once you've started an investigation, um, what are some of the steps that you take? I know you talked about if you need to get a subpoena. What are some of the other steps that you take? Is there anything that we didn't talk about? Um, You know, once you do obtain the search warrant for the house and and you obtain the evidence of um, the crime or the suspected crime, Mm -hmm. um, that evidence... uh, to include the computer has to be processed. So, uh, aside from doing the report and doing interviews with the uh, the potential suspects, um, you have to then gather or have that computer examined. If that's the source, uh, if the victim has a computer and that data remains on the on or resides on that victim's computer, that uh, has to be forensically examined and processed. Once you gather all this information, then you have to uh, present it in a package, a court complaint, to the DA's office that. Um, is clear and concise that makes it easy for that investigator or that uh, prosecutor to read and see that uh, a crime has occurred and that they are also willing to invest their time and effort to prosecute that case. Right. So once you get it to the legal process, you have to um, get it to the DA, get them to file charges, then get the judge to um, uh, file the case and issue either uh, a warrant or uh, an arraignment letter and get the court process itself started. And oftentimes it doesn't end there. You have the preliminary hearing where you might have to do further information or further investigation based upon what is is discovered in the preliminary hearing. Um, and you have to have cooperation by everybody, too. Right. You, you have to maintain <laughs> the witnesses, make sure they show right. up to court. Um, right. And make sure that, you know, the victim is still a victim and wants to be involved in the case. Right. It's not easy. So, you know, talking about laws, you know, we didn't have a chance to go too much into laws, but we do have California law and we do have actually a federal law about cyber stalking. What other kinds of laws? You know, we've only got like four minutes left, but can you tell us what kind of other laws do you think that we need? What, what do we need to help you guys? Um, I think that um, the current law uh, regarding a private person to obtain the information from an internet service provider or from a company where their identity has been uh, used, that has to be um, uh, maybe, I know it went from 10 days to 30 days, but that 10 days um, was very nice. But we have to, on on one sheet of music, protect everybody's privacy rights. But on the other side, when it's been violated, we need to ensure that we can obtain that information. Right. And maybe block or um, have some type of um, way to close down those accounts, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and and make it so that it's it, it's in a rapid manner. It's expeditious. Um, it, you know, hopefully the case isn't to the point where somebody um, has to just continually um, go through that process. So hopefully, the harassment stops. Right. And right. your goal is to find out who's doing it, so it does stop. Um, it's not easy. This is this. We are in the wild west, aren't we? Uh, with the internet, we are. Yeah, yeah, we really are. Well, we we're going to have to go, David. We're going to have to have you come back on again and tell us more about some some of the cases that you have and what we can do. And and we're going to see what's going to be happening with some legislation. That's we have that recent federal legislation. See what happens with that. See what happens with some of our California legislation. If it works to help you, you've been terrific. Thank you so much for joining us Thank tonight. You for Okay, we will talk to you soon. Great. Thank you, Mari. Thank you. We've been listening to David McCain, who is a detective with the Huntington Beach Police Department. He is a cybercrime expert, and we've been talking about cyber identity theft and cybercrime. So you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. To find out more about our wonderful upcoming guests, See our pictures and bios of our previous guests and hear their interviews. And you can even download podcasts and even subscribe to our podcasts at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. So join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. at 88.9 FM in Irvine. And thank you, Lloyd, for being such a great engineer. And good night. 
opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.